0: For well, it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. Welcome back to Short Hops and Tall Tales, a pitcher podcast highlighting the weird, funny, and bizarre elements of baseball that make America's pastime special. Um, I'm Brandon Riddle, once again joined by the splendid Noah Scotts. And we are excited to bring you a very special episode of Short Hops. Splendid. Uh, wow. Splendid, yeah. Of course, Noah's Noah Splendid. Um, um, <laughs> yeah, I know you bleed Dodger blue through and through, so I'm going to hand this one off to you because okay. this is an exciting day. Um, yeah, I'm super excited.
1: Uh, so today we have a very special guest joining us. Um, it's the Dodgers former general manager and the architect of the 1988 championship team, uh, Mr. Fred Clare. Uh, Mr. Clare, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Noah, good to be with you and good to be with Brandon.
1: (laughs) All right. So um, in addition to talking a little bit about the Dodgers, I also really wanted to talk uh, with Mr. Clare about his new book uh, with Tim Madigan. It's called Extra Innings, Fred Clare's Journey to the City of Hope and Finding a World Championship Team. Uh, Now, I just recently read this and it's a really remarkable story about integrity, uh, overcoming cancer and some really remarkable people at City of Hope. Um, So we're going to get into all that in just a second here. So first of all, Mr. Clare, uh, as I just touched on, so you recently <laughs> came out with uh, with this book about your recent battle of cancer and your experience with City of Hope um, and some of the parallels that can be drawn to the miraculous 1988 Dodgers championship season. So my first question is, you had already written a book about your time in Dodger Blue. Why did you choose to write about City of Hope?
2: Uh, thank you, uh, Noah. And... Um... Since we've gotten to know one another, uh, Brandon and Noah it will be Fred uh, hereafter. On the <laughs> uh, you know the uh, actually the uh, the first book that was uh, written about my career, Fred Clare, My Thirty Years in Dodger Blue. I really had no intention of uh, writing that book or having that book written, and the same uh, happens to be true of the second book. The Journey to City of Hope. Um, in both cases, um, fate uh, played a bigger hand than the desire to, uh, to do a book. Um, when I was fired um, by the Dodgers in 1998, in June of 1998, a long time ago, uh, before either of you were here. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I... I uh, I think uh, I think it was maybe I might maybe I'm wrong. It's uh, uh, I guess it's only been 20 some years. <laughs> um, but I uh, uh, I wanted to uh, after the departure from the Dodgers, I wanted to put all of my thoughts on paper and uh, I wanted to just remove it all and uh, remove it uh, from my uh, the main thoughts in my mind Um and so um, my wife, Cheryl, and I did something that we haven't done. I suggested we go someplace that's very quiet with water and greenery. We end up at Lake Arrowhead. And for two or three days, uh, I sat down with the typewriter. Well, uh, Cheryl looked at uh, Arrowhead and uh, got the thoughts on the paper. And uh, when I was done, uh, uh, I told Cheryl that's, that's it. Uh, she said, what, what are you going to do with it? I said, I'm, I'm not going to do anything with that. Uh, I just wanted to remove it from my mind and uh, clear my mind to move on to other things, which I, I do think is a good exercise for all mm-hmm. of us. Well, when the um, Dodgers um, uh, had, the team had been purchased, as you may know, by Fox, right. and uh, at the time when Fox was going to use um, Corp was going to sell the team, uh, Steve Springer, a Los Angeles Times writer, a very acknowledged writer, called me and said, Fred, have you ever thought of doing a book? I said, Steve, you may be talking to the right guy at the right time <laughs> <laughs> because, um, in fact, uh, I have a lot of writing that I did a few years ago. So that did the uh, that was how the uh, 30 Years of Dodger Blue was launched. And I'm very happy I did it because it has proved helpful Um when people call upon me about Dodger history, or when students or young people ask about my career, there's a, a point of reference, and yeah. uh, that's been very, very helpful uh, in so many ways. Um, and uh, wonderful reviews on Amazon from young people like yourself who um, have an interest in a um, in being connected to sports. Um, the uh, the second uh, book was done, uh, I guess it's now been two years. Uh, I was um, hit by cancer uh, in my uh, jaw and neck and uh, had to, um, or uh, underwent surgery in uh, 2016. And when I went to City of Hope and I saw the, remarkable work of City of Hope. I wanted to, uh, to do something. I wanted to do everything I could do to call attention to what I saw as a, a great team and great work. And I wanted to help raise as much money as I could. So that was the, um, that was the reasoning behind uh, the book, um, uh, as you know, um, <laughs> Extra Innings. City of Hope and finding the world championship team, all net proceeds to uh, City of Hope. Um, And uh, so um, I feel very fortunate. Um, It's now been, I guess, four years since that, um, uh, the first surgery, and then I underwent a second surgery. But to your question, Noah, as far as um, how all of that. Um, for my career related to um, the battle with cancer um, and um, the uh, the good fortune that I've had in uh, in recovering i don't think it's unique uh, to me i don't think you had to be a um, executive with the dodgers uh, i I see the battles that are fought inside city hope and so there's no um there's no um glamor to it. I was simply in a position to uh, tell a story or have the writer mm-hmm. one of by the name of Tim Madigan, who's very much in the news today uh, because his um, book on the Tulsa uh, Race Massacre, uh, when you see Sunday's New York Times, I think you'll see that ranking number eight on the New York Times bestseller list. Oh, all right. Very fortunate to... Um, uh, develop a friendship, a connection and then a, a very uh deep friendship, Cheryl myself with uh, Kim Madigan. Yeah. Uh, out of Fort Worth, Texas. So um that that's really the uh the story behind the um the two books as it um turns out they kind of um establish bookends to my, <laughs> yeah. to my doctor career yeah. both unintentional. Um but I think sometimes um that can be um can be the best a story behind a good book is unintended but taking the um the facts and the story stories that are there to produce a book
1: definitely. Um, and I remember when I was reading through the book, what really impacted me was, you know, the stories of all of the, you know, the caregivers and all the support staff, um, that really helped you along your journey. Now, how important are those, those caregivers and support staff, uh, you know, in recovery?
2: They are, um, critically important. The, um, uh, and that was one of really the, uh, the thoughts and the reasoning behind the book, you know, a, a City of Hope actually is very much like a a, a major league team in this regard. You have uh, certain personnel by their positions who are very much in the spotlight if they right, need right. to be and have to be to call attention to a great medical center. And you have wonderful, wonderful uh, people and uh, uh, Dr. Stephen Foreman and, and many others. But Dr. Foreman would be the first to tell you that he's not the story of the City of Hope's success. The story of the City of Hope's success, as I saw it and knew it, uh, begins really uh, with the volunteers and is there uh, with the patients uh, in recovery. Uh, In my case, so many uh, different departments that uh, came into uh, play and into friendships with our uh, recovery and certainly uh, the nurses, but the occupational therapists, the speech therapists, the physical therapists, and all of the various departments from um, uh, immunotherapy to radiation to chemotherapy, the people who are there on the, on the front lines truly are the, uh, the heroes. And I'll never forget with Dr. Foreman, uh, uh, after my surgeries, I was coming out of the office of a wonderful uh, lady, Mahajabeen, who was in the occupational therapy. And just at that time, Dr. Foreman walked by in the hallway and I said to Dr. Foreman, kind of put my arm to, around the side of uh, Manjibin, I said, Dr. Foreman, this is the best occupational therapist at City of Hope. And he surprised me. <laughs> <laughs> there and said, no, Fred, there are no best. Mm-hmm. We are a team. That's cool. So whether it's baseball or whether it's a university or whether it's a hospital, it is the team that ultimately will determine the success.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. You uh, had a quote, I just had a quote come to mind that you were talking about in an earlier interview about a year ago uh, that Jackie Robinson said, saying uh, life is not important except for the impact it had on other lives. And so when you're talking about those support staff and the doctors and the caregivers, It really exemplified what Jackie was talking about there, I think.
2: Well, I had the honor uh, to know Jackie, to be with him uh, on a couple of uh, memorable occasions uh, when we retired his uniform number in 1972. Wow. And then at his last public appearance at the World Series in Cincinnati in 1972, he was to die nine days later. Wow. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jackie was there. His age was 52. Fifty-two, And he could, due to diabetes, he could barely see. In fact, we were standing there before he was to go out to make the ceremonial ceremonial first pitch. And the reason he agreed to do that at the invitation of Commissioner Kuhn, he he told the Commissioner Bowie, he said, uh, I will uh, be there for the World Series Mm -hmm. if you give me the opportunity to speak. And Jackie's words that day, and they're all recorded, thankfully, on YouTube and other places, uh, Jackie being the good man that he is, that baseball's made progress in diversity. But I will not be happy, and his words were, I believe, until I see a black man in the third base coaching box being the man. Phenomenal. Jackie's uh, uh, interest was in diversity. It uh-huh. was in building. It was in the team, and it was in the, and it was in togetherness. Yeah, and, and that's what up. he devoted his life to. So when we had a tournament to raise money for the city of Hope, I wanted to give a um, an award, celebration life award. The first year we gave it to a wonderful friend, Rod Carew, and the second uh-huh. year we gave it to another wonderful friend, Tommy Lasorda. Uh I wanted that trophy for several reasons. I wanted to have the opportunity to honor great people, but more important, I wanted to quote on that, tro- on that trophy. And that quote, of course, is a life It's not important except on the impact it has on other lives. So when you talk about medical centers and great leaders who think of others, who think of themselves, Then you have what uh, Jackie Robinson was all about. And uh, so what a honor, what a privilege. Uh, The greatest of my 30 years with the Dodgers was to be in the company of Jackie Robinson.
1: That's really amazing. Yeah. Wow. Um, kind of shifting gears here a little bit. Um, you know, before before you got to meet Jackie Robinson, um, can can you talk a little bit about your journey from you know being a sports journalist to being general manager of the Dodgers? Because that's not a very you know traditional path um, <laughs> necessarily. What was that like? You, you give well, us all I,
2: hope, a
0: pitcherless now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it began for something that I've used in uh, teaching after Dodger days at the uh, University of Southern California at the Long Beach State and indeed uh, the honor of teaching at Caltech. Uh, it began because my philosophy in building careers is very basic uh, to the point of being trite. And that is follow your passion. What is it you do? What is it you enjoy doing? What What do you want to do with your life when you're going to work or making a living every day? Mm-hmm. And I knew from as early as I could remember growing up in a small town in Ohio, I knew I wanted to be connected to sports. Right. It just, there, there was no other interest. My dad owned a drugstore. I didn't want to be a pharmacist. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I... Uh, uh, had the opportunity um, by the encouragement of my parents that I probably could have chosen any field, but I uh, I thought uh, I think early on about coaching, and I think I would have enjoyed coaching as much as I did in uh, working in, uh, in baseball because it's all related. Yeah, uh, and you can coach at so many different. Uh, Levels. I didn't have to coach the Lakers. I would have been just as happy coaching a high school basketball team in, uh, in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as my um, uh, in school, as, as uh, a few years went on and I was exposed to um, some writing classes and journalism classes, I saw this could be a way <laughs> to stay connected. I, I could stay connected. Uh, by writing, and that led to uh, a degree in journalism at San Jose State, an opportunity to go to work as a sports writer for the uh, first for the Whittier paper, and then uh, for the Pomona paper and become sports editor at a very young age, and then to the Long Beach paper, where uh, I had the chance first to cover the Angels and then in 1969 to take the Dodger beat. In July of 1969, I was asked to join the Dodgers. I had written a letter expressing an interest, uh, but received the opportunity to become the publicity director of the Dodgers, which led me to become the vice president of uh, calculations and promotions, which led me to become the executive vice president, which led me to become the executive vice president general manager, which led me to be in fire. <laughs> so it was a uh, it was quite a, uh, a journey that I enjoy to this day. My day started with a phone call from a great friend, uh, former Dodger, uh, former Major League manager Phil Regan, who's now working for the uh, the Mets. Working for the Mets at my age. Oh, cool! Eighty-five. Wow. 85. So, uh, but Phil called me uh, because he wanted to talk baseball. And so to stay in touch with um, the people who were part of the Dodgers, Mm -hmm. uh, people who were part of baseball, those relationships don't end Mm -hmm. because you leave the game or the game left you. Those relationships remain through the years. Right. Yeah,
0: and uh, when, when you are that general manager in that role, how important are those relationships? Whether it's you know through negotiations or with other general managers through trades, or just trying to keep you know the clubhouse together, how how important is that?
2: Well, I think you. Um, I had a, I have always had, as I've expressed with my interest, a great love for the game, a great passion for the game, a great respect for the game. So. I was a fan of the game. I I knew the game. Uh, Mm -hmm. My brother and I trapped muskrats in Ohio, and we made enough money in 1948. I was 13 years old to buy the World Series film between the Cleveland Indians and Boston Braves and rent it. Threads were rare. That's great. So when I uh, joined the Dodgers, many, many, so many of the people who I had known as players uh, were there, of course, in the game, not only from the major leagues, but my family moving to California, uh, players um, who played for the Hollywood stars and the LA Angels of the old Pacific Coast League. So there isn't anything, there isn't anything more important in the game and there isn't anything more important in the business nothing than your integrity and your credibility. And along that same path, it is the respect for other people. So I always had great respect uh, for the people in the game. And so it, it was a, uh, every day was a joy. There was never a day, uh, but As I look back as a sports editor, there was never a day that I went to work that I didn't enjoy it. So uh, you better enjoy what you do if you want to continue to have a passion, because if you don't enjoy it, you're not going to be good at it, and you're not going to contribute.
1: Right, right. And kind of along the lines of, you know, we're talking about relationships in the game, I know that, you know, you, you came up when the O'Malley's still owned the team. And for those of you that don't know who the O'Malley's are, they were the, owning, the family that owned the Dodgers for many, many, many years, helped bring them to Los Angeles. And I know that, that it, being a family-run franchise has a certain impact on the organization. So how did the O'Malley's really leave their,
2: their mark on the organization? Uh, Boulder, O'Malley... Um... As the owner, uh, taking uh, ownership uh, initially, I think in 1950, as a part owner, he had been an attorney for the club and then uh, taking, uh, as time went on, full ownership. Uh, and then followed uh, by his son, Peter O'Malley, who became president of the Dodgers uh, the, just the year after I joined the Dodgers, he was the executive vice president. I was selected the the, the next the executive vice president after Peter. Um, but, you know, it's interesting. The Dodgers were known uh, as family. I, I never heard Mr. O'Malley Walter or Peter ever use the word family. Interesting. Yeah, they realized... They were running a business. But here's the secret to run running a successful business. You treat your employees like family. You treat the customers with respect. And I was once asked to give a speech at the Azusa by a... Uh, uh, one, Peter's former secretary, and uh, the uh, it was to be based on a book written by Jim Collins. The book is the best book that I've, one of the best books I've ever written about management and companies. It's well-acknowledged, bestseller, it lists for years, if not decades, good to great. And uh, I recommend that book to students because I think of it and when I gave the speech is um, you could almost be describing the Dodgers as far as the leadership of the O'Malley's, the leadership uh, that is uh, there uh, in great companies, not good companies, in great companies. The way that they treat their customers, Mm -hmm. uh, the way that they uh, treat their employees, uh, that's what makes a uh, successful um, company, and that's what made the Dodgers successful
0: through the years. When, When you have that kind of ideology, starting from the top and going all the way down through the organization, it does absolutely create that type of successful environments. And, you know, we, we, of course, then have to ask, speaking about successful environments, the teams that you really did put together in that 1988 team. Uh, So I think we had to ask a couple of questions about that one. Um, You know, we we talked about a lot of the characters and how, you know, it's important to feel like family within your organization or your company or your team. Uh, But on that 88 team, uh, there was one player that kind of had a a bigger role than he did in the stats sheet, uh, Mickey Hatcher. So I was kind of curious if you can talk about you know his role down the stretch of that team. And we also know
1: that uh, you have to go pretty soon here. So oh, yeah. uh, we'll, we'll we'll keep things short. We well, we want to be
2: uh, uh, cognizant of your time. Mickey was the uh, first player that I ever signed. I took over as the general manager. On a very sad note, Al Campanis was asked to resign after an appearance on Nightline. Right, And well documented. So that was after the first uh, three games. It's after the uh, before the start of the third game in Houston. The Dodgers opened the season in Houston, and uh, Al went on Nightline after the opening game. Actually, it was to be a tribute of the an anniversary of uh, of Jackie Robinson's uh, debut in Major League Baseball. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess the 40th anniversary, and so. Um, uh, uh, So I've just taken the job. Peter asked me to take the job. He called me from Houston. And he said, basically said, Fred, you you have to take this job. I'd been with the doctor (laughs) for 20 years. And uh, I told him I would take the job, but I wanted to be one thing very clear. And that was that uh, I get full, total, complete responsibility because I knew the importance of a job and I know the importance of taking responsibility for what you do. And he stuck out his hand and he said, you've got it. So my um, first day on the job at Dodger Stadium, uh, Bill Madlock, our third baseman, uh, pulls the muscle and we need a third baseman. And so um, I knew about Mickey. He had been released by the Minnesota Twins And Mickey had previously played for us. And um, so, and his agent happened to be a very good friend of mine, uh, Willie Sanchez, who once worked, uh, won the Dodgers minor league system. So um, I called Willie and told him that uh, I had an interest in signing Mickey. I went to Peter. Now I've never made a player move. Not one. And uh, I told Peter, uh, This mid afternoon, that I wanted to uh, release Jerry Royce, uh, one of our top paid players on the team. Right. And Mickey Hatcher. And he said, Fred, he said, wait a minute, Uh, where's Mickey been? I said, he got released by the Twins. He said, You want to release one of our highest paid players (laughs) and sign a guy that just got released by the Minnesota Twins? (laughs) I said, yes, I do. <laughs> so um, he, uh, Peter being Peter, um, I don't know whether he nodded approval, but what he did say is, uh, okay, you're the general manager. So that was the start of Mickey. And uh, Brandon, what he meant to that team, as you know, has a lot to do, has everything to do with attitude, with giving all that you have to give. And I, I haven't really thought of it so much in those terms. But Mickey being the first player that I signed really became the prototype mm-hmm. for what I was looking for. Interesting. Guys who were going to give every single thing they had. Yeah. Regardless of their level of ability. And you got to have to have ability to play at the major league level. So a trade that I was to make early in 1988 John Shelby reflected that. A player that I signed at the start of, uh, when the, uh, in the winter before the 88 season, Rick Dempsey exemplified that. And even, of course, the players with the bigger names. Uh, certainly, uh, Kirk Gibson uh, exemplified that. And all of that's covered in Jim Collins' book, Good to Great. Because one of the things he writes about in good management in good teams, you've got to get the right people on the bus. Right. And that's a part of it. And the other parts that Jim writes about, and I've had a chance to speak to him, is what he terms the flywheel concept. Just as a student, day after day, year after year, You do everything you can. And there isn't one glorious moment of a breakthrough that the light goes on and you suddenly realize all the things you thought you would find in college. It's a process. Mm -hmm. And the other thing Jim uses that I think is appropriate as part of that is the hedgehog concept. You just keep grinding. You just keep grinding Day after day, and when you do that, whether you have a baseball team, uh, whether you're a student, or whether you're running a company, uh, you will find that uh, you can amaze yourself. All right,
1: I think that's really really cool. I'll have to I'll have to definitely definitely check that one out. Now, I definitely I want to thank you again so much for for coming on with us. I want to be mindful of your time. But Mr. Clare, thank you so much. It's it's been a pleasure uh, having you on to talk about your book and and, and about the the 1988 Dodgers.
2: Well, the uh, it was a special um, a special team, and I think it's reflected that um, it was reflected when we had the 30th anniversary at Dodger Stadium. Yeah. And or And Gibby and uh, Franklin Stubbs and Saxey and Hatcher and all the others came together, it was almost as if they had played together the night before. Wow. There it's... was that type of unity. Mm-hmm. There yeah. was a bond that was formed that season by the team, and in many ways, by the fans of the team, that uh, can never be, nor ever, will it ever be, diminished in history because of the nature of it. So to have um, Mm -hmm. been a part of that uh, was a true uh, privilege and, um, and honor. So I, I wish the two of you the best and uh, keep grinding. (laughs) Um, Be hedgehogs and, uh, and you can keep me um, posted as you, um, Uh, strive for um, uh, world championships.
1: Will do, Mr. Clare. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great rest of your night.
2: Okay, guys. Take good care. Bye. Bye. Bye.
1: All right. So, yeah, that'll just about do it here uh, tonight. Now, be sure to follow uh, Fred on Twitter, at Fred underscore claire. But really be sure to check out Extra Innings on Amazon. Uh, I've read it, and I can say it's one of those books that – you're just going to want to keep shoving it in your friend's face. That's a weird thing to say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's really one of those books that, you know, once you put it down, you're going to want to actually, t- you know, t- go on and tell people about it. So I highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: It's a, it's a really great read. And, and before we wrap it up, I just want to take a step back for a moment. And for Noah and kind of myself realized we just talked to a guy to put together a world championship team. Yeah. That was fantastic. And I feel it's, Fire! than to go win a world championship myself. Uh Fred was fantastic. Yeah, he was he
1: was really, really nice. Yeah, very, very inspiring speech there at the end. Oh yeah. So yeah, hopefully we'll we'll get to uh, hear hear more from him in the future. We'll see. But um So if you like what you're hearing, uh, be sure to also follow Short Hops and Tall Tales on Twitter at Short Hops PL. You can find Brandon at BD Riddle and myself at Noah A. Scott six. And be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you're listening to podcasts. Leave a review if you like. Uh, For Brandon Riddle, I'm Noah Scott, and this has been the Short Hops and Tall Tales podcast. See you next time.